Chapter Twenty Four of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Twenty Four Resolves to Escape. As summer approached, I expected to be sent to the farm again, but for some reason I was still employed in the kitchen. Yet I could not keep my mind upon my work. The one great object of my life, the subject that continually pressed upon my mind, was the momentous question, how shall I escape? The dreaded December was rapidly approaching. To some it would bring a joyous festival, but to me the black veil and a lifelong imprisonment. Once within those dreary walls, and I might as well hope to escape from the grave. Such are the arrangements. There is no chance for a nun to escape unless she is promoted to the office of abbess or superior. Of course, but few of them can hope for this, especially if they are not contented, and certainly in my case, there was not the least reason to expect anything of the kind. Knowing these facts, with the horrors of the secret cloister ever before me, I felt some days as though on the verge of madness. Before the nuns take the black veil, and enter this tomb for the living, they are put into a room by themselves called the Forbidden Closet, where they spend six months in studying the black book. Perchance, the reader will remember that when I first came to this nunnery, I was taken by the door-tender to this forbidden closet, and permitted to look in upon the wretched inmates. From that time I have always had the greatest horror of that room. I was never allowed to enter it, and in fact never wished to do so, but I have heard the most agonizing groans from those within and sometimes I have heard them laugh. Not a natural, hearty laugh, however, such as we hear from the gay and happy, but a strange, terrible sound which I cannot describe, and which sent a thrill of terror through my frame, and seemed to chill the very blood in my veins. I have heard the priests say, when conversing with each other while I was tidying their room, that many of these nuns lose their reason while studying the black book. I can well believe this, for never in my life did I ever witness an expression of such unspeakable, unmitigated anguish, such helpless and utter despair, as I saw upon the faces of those nuns. And well they may despair. Kept under lock and key, their windows barred, and no air admitted to the room except what comes through the iron grate of their windows from other apartments. Compelled to study, I know not what, with no hope of the least mitigation of their sufferings, or relaxation of the stringent rules that bind them, no prospect before them but a life-long imprisonment. What have they to hope for? Surely death and the grave are the only things to which they can look forward to with the least degree of satisfaction. Those nuns selected for this secret cloister 
are generally the fairest, the most beautiful of the whole number. I used to see them in the chapel, and some of them were very handsome. They dressed like the other nuns, and always looked sad and broken-hearted, but were not pale and thin like the rest of us. I am sure they were not kept upon short allowance as the others were, and starvation was not one of their punishments, whatever else they might endure. The plain-looking girls were always selected to work in the kitchen and do the drudgery about the house. How often have I thanked God for my plain face! But for that I might not have been kept in the kitchen so long, and thus found means to escape which I certainly could not have found elsewhere. With all my watching and planning I did not find an opportunity to get away till June. I then succeeded in getting outside the convent yard one evening between eight and nine o'clock. How I got there is a secret I shall never reveal. A few yards from the gate I was stopped by one of the guard at the barrack, who asked me where I was going. To visit a sick woman, I promptly replied, and he let me pass. Soon after this my heart ceased to flutter. I thought I heard someone running after me. My resolution was at once taken. I would never be caught and carried back alive. My fate was at last, I thought, in my own hands. Better die at once than to be chained like a guilty criminal and suffer as I had done before. Blame me not, gentle reader, when I tell you that I stood upon the bank of the river with exultant joy, and as I pursued my way along the towpath, ready to spring into the water on the first indication of danger. I rejoiced over the disappointment of my pursuers in losing a servant who had done them so good service. At a little distance I saw a ferry-boat, but when I asked the captain to carry me over the river he refused. He was, probably, afraid of the police and a fine for no one can assist a runaway nun with impunity if caught in the act. He directed me, however, to the owner of the boat, who said I could go if the captain was willing to carry me. I knew very well that he would not, and I took my place in the boat as though I had a perfect right to it. We were almost across the river when the captain saw me and gave orders to turn back the boat and leave me on the shore from whence we started. From his appearance I thought we were pursued, and I was not mistaken. Five priests were following us in another boat, and they too turned back and reached the shore almost as soon as we did. I left the boat and ran for my life. I was now sure that I was pursued. There could be no doubt of that for the sound of footsteps behind me came distinct to my ear. At a little distance stood a small, white house. Could I not reach it? Would not the people protect me? The thought gave me courage, and I renewed my efforts. Nearer came the footsteps, but I reached the house, and without knocking or asking permission, I sprang through the door. The people were in bed in another room, but a man looked out and asked what I wanted. "'I'm a nun,' said I. 
I've run away from the grey nunnery, and they're after me. Hide me, oh, hide me, and God will bless you. As I spoke, he put out his hand and opened the cellar door. Here, said he, run down the cellar. I'll be with you in a moment. I obeyed, and he struck a light and followed. Pointing to a place where he kept ashes, he said hastily, Crawl in there. There was not a moment to lose, for before he had covered up my hiding-place, a loud knock was heard upon the front door. Having extinguished his light, he ran upstairs and opened the door with the appearance of having just left his bed. "'Who is here?' he asked. "'And what do you want at this time of night?' One of them replied, "'We are in search of a nun, and are very sure she came in here.' Well, gentlemen, said he, walk in and see for yourselves. If she is here, you are at liberty to find her. Lighting a candle, he proceeded to guide them over the house, which they searched until they were satisfied. Then they came down the cellar, and I gave up all hope of escape. Still I resolved never to be taken alive. I could strangle myself, and I would do it, rather than suffer as I did before. At that moment I could truly say with the inspired penman, with whose language I have since become familiar, My soul chooseth strangling and death, rather than life. They looked all around me, and even into the place where I lay concealed, but they did not find me. At length I heard them depart, and so great was my joy I could hardly restrain my feelings within the bounds of decorum. I felt as though I must dance and sing, shout aloud or leap for joy at my great deliverance. I am sure I should have committed some extravagant act had not the gentleman at that moment called me up and told me that my danger was by no means past. This information so dashed my cup of bliss that I was able to drink it quietly. He gave me some refreshment, and as soon as safety would permit, saddled his horse, and taking me on behind him, carried me six miles to another boat, put me on board, and paid the captain three dollars to carry me to La Prairie. On leaving me, he gave me twenty-five cents, and said, You'll be caught if you go with the other passengers. The captain said he could hide me, and no one would know that I was on board but himself. He led me to the end of the boat, and put me upon a board over the horses. He fixed a strong cord for me to hold on by, and said, You must be careful and not fall down, for the horses would certainly kill you before you could be taken out. The captain was very kind to me, and when I left him, gave me twenty-five cents and some good advice. He said I must hurry along as fast as possible, for it was jubilee, and the priests would all be in church at four o'clock. He also advised me not to stop in any place where a Romish priest resided, for, said he, the convent people have undoubtedly telegraphed all over the country giving a minute description of your persons, and the priests will all be looking for you. 
Two days I travelled as fast as my strength would allow. When I came to Sorel, which was on the other side of the river, here I saw several priests on the road coming directly towards me. That they were after me I had not a doubt. Whither should I flee? To escape by running was out of the question, but just at that moment my eye fell upon a boat near the shore. I ran to the captain and asked him to take me across the river. He consented, and as I expected, the priests took another boat and followed us. Once more I gave myself up for lost, and prepared to spring into the water if they were likely to overtake me. The man understood my feelings, and exerted all his strength to urge forward the boat. At last it reached the shore, and as he helped me out he whispered, Now run! I did run, but though my own liberty was at stake, I could not help thinking about the consequences to that man if I escaped, for I knew they would make him pay a heavy fine for his benevolent act. A large house stood in my way, and throwing open the door I exclaimed, Are there any Protestants here? Oh yes, replied a man who sat there. Come with me. He led me to the kitchen where a large company of Irishmen were rolling little balls on a table. I saw the men were Irish, and my first thought was, I am betrayed. But my fears were soon relieved, for the man exclaimed, Here is a nun inquiring for Protestants. Well, replied one who seemed to be a leader, This is the right place to find them. We are all true orange men. And then they all began to shout, Down with the Catholics! Down with the Pope! Death to the Jesuits! etc. I was frightened at their violence, but their leader came to me, and with the kindness of a brother said, Do not fear us. If you are a runaway, we will protect you. He bade the men be still, and asked if anyone was after me. I told him about the priests, and he replied, you have come to the right place for protection, for they dare not show themselves here. I am the leader of a band of anti-Catholics, and this is their lodge. You have heard of us, I presume. We are called Orange Men. Our object is to overthrow the Roman Catholic religion, and we are bound by the most fearful oaths to stand by each other and protect all who seek our aid. The priests dread our influence, for we have many members, and I hope, ere long, the power of the Pope in this country will be at an end. I am sure people must see what a cruel, hypocritical set they are. Before he had done speaking, a man came to the door and said, The carriage is ready. Another of the men, on hearing this, said, Come with me, and I'll take you out of the reach of the priests. He conducted me to a carriage, which was covered, and the curtains all fastened down. He helped me into it, directing me to sit upon the back seat, where I could not be seen by anyone unless they took particular pains. He drove to St. Orr's that night, and if I remember right, he said the distance was twelve miles. When he left me, he gave me twenty-five cents. I travelled all night, 
and about midnight passed through St. Denis, but I did not stop until the next morning when I called at a house and asked for something to eat. The lady gave me some bread and milk, and I again pursued my way. End of chapter 24